Welcome to the Casted Podcast. It's the destination for the most innovative and forward-thinking marketers in B2B, like you. Each week, I host conversations with brilliant marketing leaders on the tactics and tricks that they're harnessing to reach their revenue goals, rev their thought leadership engines, amplify their marketing voice in the marketplace, and ultimately drive real business results. I'm Lindsay Chepkema, CEO and co-founder of Casted, and this is the Casted Podcast. I'm April Dunford. I run a consulting business called Ambient Strategy. I work mainly with B2B high growth tech companies and my focus very specifically is on positioning. I'm also an author and so I wrote a book called Obviously Awesome, which is my thinking around positioning and how to actually do it. So if you think your positioning is not so good, how would you go about fixing it? You can see it here on my shelf. Strategic brand placement. I like it. (laughs) Okay. So thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited for this conversation. I am a brand nerd. I have been for 20 years and I'm excited to to talk to somebody who knows a lot more than I do about branding and positioning. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. So let's first talk about the fact that you have a book that is obviously awesome. Let's, I kind of start there as a foundation of what it's about, why you wrote it, why you felt compelled to put that out into the world. And then we'll use that kind of as a touchstone for where to go in our conversation. So I spent the first 25 years of my career as a repeat vice president of marketing at a series of high growth tech companies. And I think I did seven in total, six of those were acquired. After I was coming out of my last one, I kind of thought, am I really going to do this again? Or maybe I'm going to do something different this time. So about seven, eight years ago, I made the switch to consulting. And in my career, I had been really specifically focused on positioning, particularly in the latter steps of my career. I had kind of developed a way to do positioning. And for the last few years of my career, if you hired me as the VP marketing, you hired me because you had a positioning problem and I came into the interview and spoke intelligently about how we were going to fix that. So when I decided to switch into consulting, it made sense for me to focus on that as a thing that I could work with companies on. And so that was my focus. The book came about for two reasons. One was there were a lot of little early stage startups would come to me with questions about positioning. And they're so early stage that, you know, the founders aren't even paying themselves. So they don't have any money to pay a consultant. And so instead, we just have these coffee meetings where I'm trying to teach them something in an hour or two hours. And I got thinking, you know what, I should really write this methodology down and then I could just point them at the blog post or whatever and say, this is how you do it and stop bugging me over coffee meetings. (laughs) And then the second thing was that founders would call me with positioning issues. And we'd spend the first call just talking about what is positioning? Like, how should we think about that? And generally we'd have to have a second call to talk about, well, you know, the positioning is maybe not good. Here's how I'm going to go about fixing it. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I had a book that just wrote this methodology down and then everyone could read that. And then you could decide on your own whether you thought that was a good idea or not to fix it that way. And then if you did, you'd call me and we'd be past that already. So it started out, I thought, well, I'll just write a blog post. And then that blog post started to get really long. And then I was like, oh, this is actually kind of more like a book. And then that's how the book came about. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I love the focus on positioning because I think that one thing that I found 
at many different companies, and it's definitely true today, but it has been over the years, is that positioning is often overlooked because marketers are oh, yeah. under so much pressure to deliver, deliver stuff, anything from conversions to blog posts and everything in between, like do, 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 keep going, keep going. Right. And it's, we often don't feel that, that we have the luxury to stop and, and, and ponder about such things as positioning, but it's so foundational. It is absolutely imperative. Well, and so, sometimes we're, you know, we get the vibe that maybe that's not our job. Mm. It, you know, when I was working at startups, like, you know, when I started in marketing at startups, you know, I got the impression that that was the CEO's job or, or something, you know, to figure out how do we win in the market and who are we going to target and what's our competition and even thinking about things like, What's our differentiated value? Like, why does a customer pick us versus the other guys? Like, I had the impression at the beginning that my job wasn't to figure that stuff out. My job was to, like, that's an input. Somebody gives me that. And my job is to, like, work my marketing tactical magic and make the leads appear. <laughs> like, that's, that's my job. And so yeah. at the beginning, I had this impression, like, you just throw whatever whatever crap it is that you got it comes flying over the fence, and my job is to spin that crap into gold <laughs> and the big money hearts and sparkles and rainbows comes out the other side and so I actually thought that was my job, and so if I wasn't doing that job, it's because I didn't know what I was doing tactically. If the email campaigns weren't performing, I had to get better at email. And if the if the ads weren't performing, I had to get better at ads. If the content didn't convert, well, my content must be crappy. <laughs> but then as I got more senior, it became clear to me that, it, you know, it's kind of a garbage in, garbage out situation. Mm -hmm. Like if what I've got is an un, a positioning that basically, you know, value propositions that my customers don't care about, a, a product that appears to be completely undifferentiated, like I can be doing a perfect job at tactical marketing stuff and it is going to produce nothing. <laughs> and so, you know, once I realized that, then I was like, okay, well, boss man might not think this is my job, but if we don't fix this, I can't do my job. So I got to figure out a way to at least agitate to get this fixed. You know, even if I'm not the one fixing it, we got to figure out how to fix these inputs because otherwise I got garbage coming in and garbage coming out and there's nothing left for me to do except quit my job and find a new one. Right. Yeah. And I think now more than ever, when did you start writing the book? Like how long ago? Oh man, ages ago. Like, you know what? I had a bunch of false starts on this book. Okay. Like I thought I was going to write it and then I got halfway through and I was like, I'm not a book writer. <laughs> Apparently you are, April. Like, yeah, well, I mean, now I can say that because I actually wrote a book, but I still don't feel like a book writer. Like, I, like I, have, I have an engineering degree. Like, I should be writing anything. Like, even when I was running marketing teams, you know, I think it's important as a marketing leader to understand where your strengths and weaknesses are. And, like, writing was in my weak pile. Like, I would always hire somebody who's really good at writing to make up for my lousy writing skills anyway. So yeah, I had a few false starts where I, you know, I get halfway through and I'm like, why am I even writing this stupid thing? Blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, I probably started writing the oh, book wow. in 2015, 2016, and it, it didn't actually get out until 2019. And then nobody really heard of it until 2020, which is where it started to sort of take off. But yeah, it's been a road. Okay. I like that, that, that 
background, that context is really, is really interesting because I was going to ask based on when you were putting it together, because a lot has changed, (laughs) a lot has changed over the last, you know, decade, over the last few years, over the last year, right? Positioning is, wasn't always will be super duper important, but I'm curious, especially now in whatever the heck you want to call it, that's happening in the economy, things are happening, especially to marketing budgets, especially Mm -hmm. to marketing teams. Marketing teams are feeling the crunch more than usual. I mean, marketers are used to having to to do more with less and and to to constantly uh, deliver more and more with less and less. But now it's, I mean, it's a whole new level now. And so I'm curious what you've seen as you've had lots of these conversations about positioning and about your expertise, how good, bad, or otherwise, how is that impacting how people are paying attention or not to positioning. Yeah. So I think there's a handful of things. So, so one is when there is a turn in the macroeconomic climate, often we need to do an adjustment in our positioning to account for that. And what's actually going on is customer behavior and preferences change because they are under economic strain. So it's, it's not so much that we're under economic strain. It's that our buyers are under economic strain. That's actually really the problem. And so first the buyers get under economic strain. And so you'll have this thing, particularly in B2B, like if we sell something to businesses, like if you think about it at, you know, at super high conceptual level, if I'm selling something to a business, my value to that business is generally, I'm either helping you make money or I'm helping you save money. Like that's about it. <laughs> it's one or the other, right? Like this product is going to help you make more money or save more money. And when the economy is good, the, you know, helping a company make money is a way better value proposition than helping them save a few bucks. You know, like, so when this, when the economy is good, we tend to be really focused on how are we going to help you make more money? Like the, you know, everything's growing, everything's good. How are we going to, now you'll get this thing where all of a sudden the customers under constraints, economic climate has turned. They're not making so much money anymore. They got budget pressures. And so then they're like, okay, I'm actually not worried about making money right now because the making money option is off the table. And so now what I'm trying to do is more with less. I'm getting my budgets crawled, clawed back. And so I'm really interested in how do I save money? Like, so if you've got a thing that's going to help me reduce my budget a little bit, that would actually be really handy. So us as the vendor, you know, we're left in a situation that where, oh my gosh, we got to, we got to react to that. And so we had this make money value proposition that all of a sudden doesn't work so well. And maybe we want to adjust and focus on the ways we're going to help you save money. So that's one thing that happens. The second thing that tends to happen for us as vendors is we'll get into a downturn like this and, and customers don't have budgets and they're not buying. And so, you know, so our revenue starts getting flat, our budgets get cut and, oh my gosh, we've got to do more with less. And one of the obvious ways to do more with less, if you're a B2B company is to adjust your targeting. So usually what we've got, and this is very true in this economic climate we have right now, not everybody's in bad shape. So some segments of the economy is in bad shape. Other segments are on fire. So if you happen to sell to tech companies, growing tech companies right now, not so good. (laughs) Most of them, they're not raising money. They're trying to keep their budgets low. They're all that stuff. If you're selling to healthcare, healthcare is actually pretty good right now. If you're selling to uh, travel and hospitality is actually really good right now. Like there's a bunch of things 
that are actually growing and on fire and amazing. So if you're a company that sells to a wide swath of customers, you know, one of the things you you could do to do more with less is to say, you know what, we're really going to focus in on this sub-segment of our market that does have money, that is buying stuff, and we're going to focus less on the parts that aren't doing anything, and we'll come back to them later when they've got budgeted stuff, but we know these people are buying, so we're going to focus over here. That is a shift in positioning generally. And so if I look at the companies that I'm working with right now, a lot of them are tightening their positioning up to really run at this section of the market that's got budget, that's growing where they, and so they're, you know, fishing where the fish are basically and, and putting less of a focus on the parts of their target market that, you know, they're just not buying right now, but, you know, we'll, we'll worry about them next year whenever they get budget back. Interesting. And it just makes sense. That makes sense. So if you are a marketing leader, you might feel like you have a little bit more say over that than like a marketing manager or a marketing specialist. So what would you say to the more junior individuals that are trying to figure out how they can, they can help? What do you say to them? Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of the signal that we're looking for to see what's working and what isn't and and what segments are buying and clicking and whatever. A lot of that signal is going to come from the tactical stuff that we're running right now. So it, it, I think if I was more junior, like let's say I was involved in content creation, I'd be getting really tight on my metrics around that. Like and and looking at what's working and what isn't, but really in particular, like what's working, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that's not working. <laughs> But are there bright spots and what can we learn from the bright spots like for the, on the things that are working and then run that up the chain as much as you can, because the more your bosses understand about what's working, it, you know, the more they can, again, focus in on the stuff that does work. So I, I find what does happen when we get a, a shift like this is everybody starts to panic a little bit and people get bummed out and all they do is say, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And there's nothing I can do with that as a manager. <laughs> like you come and tell me a whole bunch of stuff doesn't work. I'm like, well, no kidding. <laughs> I know nothing's working. Tell me what is working. So I think if you're more junior, what you're looking for is any signs of light. <laughs> you're looking for any signs of light. Like, and generally there's something you can grab onto. So I would be looking around and saying, what is working? Like, we, like even if it's just working a little bit, like what is working? And then is there a way we can double down on that? Is there a way we can expand on that? Is there a way that we could take that, you know, little spark and turn it into a big flame? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so you've, you've been a VP of marketing. You said you, you kept getting hired for these VP of marketing roles. I've sat in that seat before too. And yeah. I think so that anyone who's listening to this, hears it from both of us. I know for me, and I'm curious if you would agree. If I was VP of marketing role and someone on my team came to me, if it was an intern, like anyone on the team came to me and said, there's a bunch of things that aren't working. Here's a list of things that are. And I highlighted the ones that I think that we should double down on. And here's why. Amazing. Amazing, right? Amazing. Great. Let's go. <laughs> and understanding the value that that has yeah. to a to your leader is really important. And, and then you know, that gets into understanding the money-making model of the business and why all that stuff is important. Well, that's it. How regardless of what role you have on your team, doing that kind of thing matters. So there you go. That's a really great takeaway. Exactly. And and you come to me with problems, right? Like, it, like if you come to me and say, 
well, here's all the things I ran this month and a whole bunch, and here's all the things that didn't work. I, there's nothing I can do with that information. Like, unless you got a theory about why it didn't work and now you're going to test it and turn it into something that does work. Okay. Then I down, now I'm listening. <laughs> but if you just come in and say, and this is, this is often what happens when things abruptly go bad is the team freaks out, right? It's like everything was working and now everything's not. And they're like, oh crap. And so they're in there going, ah, all the things are not working. And, and I think my job as the leader is to one, tell everybody, okay, you know, downturns happen. And, you know, and I, and I feel like that old lady that says, ah, you should have seen it in 2000, way worse. <laughs> like I'm that person. Where I'm like, you know what? It happens. Like we go in cycles. And so this is going to be bad. We, you know, it's going to be bad. We're going to have to put our heads down. Our budget's going to get clawed back. We're going to have to do more with less. All the things that worked last year, a whole bunch of those things aren't going to work anymore. Our job now is to figure out what works now. And we all know there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't work, but don't come to me with the stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, you know, standing in the pantry, looking at everything and it's like, okay, we need to make something. It's like, don't shout at me all the things that have like gone bad. Tell me the things that are good. Even if you don't have a recipe, like tell me the things that we do have to work with. Like, don't be like, well, we, we don't have any more chili powder. It's like, okay, cool. What do we have though? Even if you don't know what to do. I, I had this job at the VP marketing and uh, we had been doing trade shows forever and ever. And trade shows clearly didn't work for this company, but it, but they kept doing them because nobody had any other bright ideas about what to do. That was one reason. And the second reason was, you know, they had a couple of people on the team whose job it was mm -hmm. to run trade show stuff. And so my first week I was in there, the trade show people are in my office and they're like, trade shows aren't working. And I was like, but I gathered this. <laughs> I can see that. Yes. From looking at the data. So can we fix it? Like you, it looks like they've been not working for two years. Have we tried stuff like, or, or should we just stop doing trade shows? And you know, and my folks came in with this, like I was supposed to fix it. And I was like, you've been working on trade shows for two years. <laughs> You know me. And so we tried a few things, but in the end, we just, we stopped doing trade shows and started doing other things because it just, trade shows had run their course. It just wasn't working for us right. for the target market we were trying to go after. Exactly. Exactly. Virtual events ended up being quite good for us. And so that was good because one of my people that was focused on trade shows was like, well, you know, we ran this one virtual event six months ago and that was go. pretty good. And I was like, that sounds good. Why don't we try more of that? There you go. There you go. It's, it's not being afraid. You can't lead from fear. You can't lead from what's not working. You have to say, here are the things that are working. And I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with this data, but here's the thing that worked. And that, that serves right. your leader at being able to help you solve the problem. Yeah. Because I also think there's a lot of pressure with don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. It's like, even if you don't have a solution, just come to me with ingredients. What do we have? It, well, this is it. This is it. That advice, right? Don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. Like, Sometimes you do have to come to me with problems. <laughs> like sometimes we have problems that only the boss can fix and that's okay. But if you're coming to me with a problem that I don't have any, I'm like, well, I got no way to fix that anymore than you do. Sometimes we have a tactic that used to work and now it doesn't work anymore. I don't know. Like, unless we got some things. The one thing I think when we have an economic turn like this is everybody's got to adjust. Like everybody's, everybody's got to let go some of the, like, yeah, I know that stuff used to be great and now it's not. So now what are we going to do? Like, we just got to let it go. 
some of it and just say, you know what? No, that's just it. Maybe we'll get back to that next year, the year after. But right now, <laughs> no budget, no people, no time, no results. Like, you know, we're going to do different stuff. Going to do different stuff. Okay. So that's, that's an interesting door opening for me to, to talk podcasts, right? So we're on a podcast about podcasts. I am curious as a brand positioning extraordinaire, where do you think podcasts fit in? How do you see something like this medium and conversations like these helping a, a marketing team with their positioning? One of the things I think about podcasts is that I, I think you can use podcasts for lots of things, lots of things. And I think it's actually worthwhile, like if you're going to do a podcast, to sit down and decide what's it for? Like, what are we trying to do here? Is this a front of the funnel thing? Is this a back of the funnel thing? Is this a, you know, what, what are we actually doing the podcast for? I think it's a really good question. I've seen companies do a good job of where they have an idea that is very closely associated with their point of view on a market. And they're using the podcast as a way to just explore that. And so they're exploring it with people in the company, they're exploring it with customers, they're exploring it with experts. And so it's this idea that, you know, we've got, we've got sort of a thesis or an idea about the market, and then we're going to do a podcast around that and just kind of, you know, run around the edges of it and, and talk about this thing. It's good early funnel stuff, but it actually is sometimes very good mid funnel stuff too. I've seen people do a good job with podcasts that I would consider later funnel stuff. Like a lot of people think about podcasts as being like, you know, kind of branding, getting the word out, kind of awareness sort of stuff, very early funnel stuff. But I've seen people do a good job where, you know, they're actually just bringing customers in and they're having customers talk about stuff. And then the sales team are using particular episodes, almost like a case study where they're like, oh, here's this customer having a conversation with us about how they did XYZ with ABC. And I mean, that's, that's late funnel stuff. What's neat about podcasts over a case study is that sometimes you don't need to get the same legal approvals and things like that as you do if you're running a case study. In some ways, I think it's a neat little hack to get a customer talking about what they did with your stuff, where you can kind of, you know, run around the legal department because we're not writing it down. <laughs> well, you see, I have been saying these things, but now that they hear it coming from you, everybody's going to know that it's for real. Well, that's it. And again, like a case study, if I write it down and it's a thing, well, now I send it to you and it's got to go to your legal department and someone's got to approve it. And someone's going to say, I don't like this word, blah, 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 blah. Whereas we're just having a conversation about stuff. Like sometimes it doesn't go through the same little, like it depends on the size of the company, right? Like some big companies will have a thing where they're like, you're not allowed to talk about that stuff. But mid-sized companies, a lot of times, you know, you try to do a case study, no way you get them on, you get them on the podcast, they'll talk away and it's Fine. And I think that's twofold. One, it's, yes, it's all of the proofing and approvals and that whole thing. It's also just easier. It's, it's so much easier. Like we did two or three seasons on our podcast that were exclusively talking to customers. That's it. And it wasn't about casted, but it was about like, how are your podcasts working and why are you using a podcast and how does it fit into your strategy? And it's so much easier to say, give me an hour of your time. And in fact, I'll probably end up just taking about 40 minutes and let's just talk about you and let's talk about how this is working. And let's sure. If you mention, you know, the product, that's great, but like, this is about you. And by the way, you're going to get coverage from this too. And you're going to get, you know, hopefully this is a lift for, for you. And this is great exposure for you. This is exactly it. And I do think it's funny. Like I started out being a podcast guest 
for this exact reason. Like it's 10,000 times easier to do this with you than it is for me to sit down and write a blog post about, you know, what do you do in an economic downturn? <laughs> you know, and, and again, I'm an engineer, right? Like I don't, like I need help on the writing side. <laughs> and how do you structure the, the flow and how do you format it and how long should it be? And well, and then distribution, right? So, so, you know, then I write it, but then where's it going to go? You know, and how's anybody ever going to see it? Whereas, you know, I'm on your podcast and I'm in front of your audience. I didn't have to build this audience. You built the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot you can do with podcasts. There's a lot you can use it at different parts of the funnel, different parts of the buying process. What else do you think when you're talking to brands or talking to your own audience about what they want to know about positioning and, and branding, what else do you tell them about how podcast or in video as well, conversations with their audience, conversations with their users and their influencers. What advice do you give? I think that it's good to experiment with different modalities for content. A lot of companies are kind of default to, you know, we're, we're going to do text basically. Like we're writing white papers and we're, we're doing stuff. Traditionally our content's been pretty text heavy. And I think there's a lot of people that just don't want to consume content that way. Right. Like we've seen the explosion in podcasting, audio content, like a lot of people just prefer to consume content that way. And then same thing with video, like, you know, it's engaging. Some people love video. Some people don't like video so much, but I think it's important for companies to experiment with stuff so that they know like what works for your audience. Like I worked with a company, they sell really, really techie developer types. And they experiment with, experimented with video and didn't have very much luck with that. So they were they were doing video and it was kind of, you know, not so good. And then they went into podcasting without video, weirdly. So, so they were building these like kind of corporate video things and nobody was doing that. Then they went into podcasting. That was good. And so they got lots of listeners with the podcast. Then they added the video to the podcast and that worked. And then they start, started doing all kinds of things that were a lot more visual you know, to sort of augment that. So again, I think it's, I think it's experimentation. Like, I don't think, I think it's super easy to spin up a podcast right now. And so it's, it, it used to be harder, right? It used to be like the tech used to be harder. The equipment used to be more complicated. Now it's pretty easy to just spin one up and run it as an experiment. And let's just see. Yeah, I think so too. And you do need to run it long enough to understand whether or not you get results. That's true. Any content, right? Like it's, it's the same if we were talking about the blog or anything else. Like we can't just say, oh, we're going to do Twitter for a week and see if it works. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like we, we get asked about benchmarks all the time and which I think are important. You know, like what should we be looking yeah. for? What does good look like? But nobody asks about that for blogs anymore. Everybody knows that you're going to have a blog, obviously. Oh, we're a company. Of course we have a blog. But how many people are coming to it? Like, and I, and I think that's, and again, I, I would treat that like everything else. Like maybe we do, maybe we don't, I don't know. Let's test it and see. Right. It depends on who's it for. Why are you doing it? Right. And, and what works best for your brand? Because for one, one company, and I'm a hundred percent sure that you deal with this all the time with people that you talk to one company that's doing a podcast and seeing 10 listens or, or views a month but they're the, the right 10 people that might make perfect sense for them. Whereas another one, if they're not getting, you know, 10,000 downloads a month from most of the right people, they're not going to see 
it generate the results that they need. So that's what makes it so difficult with all, again, all content. Yes. Podcasts. Yes. Video, but all content is that it's, which bringing this all full circle, you have to be so crystal clear about who is it for why are you doing it? And what is your positioning? What, what are you going for, for your brand, for your positioning? Then, and only then can you start to say, is any of this working? (laughs) Because otherwise you're comparing yourself to other brands with other goals and other audiences, other positioning. And it's, it's not apples to apples. It never will be. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I think there's a real danger for people. Like I think podcasting is one, like, it's hard to know how, you know, like people say like, how many listeners is good? <laughs> you know, that's like saying, how long's a piece of string? Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. And then the other thing is like, people exaggerate their numbers. Like, so, you, you know, so they'll say, well, my friend has this podcast that gets, you know, they'll throw some number at me and I'll be like, pretty sure your friend's not getting that, but okay. (laughs) And so, and it's almost impossible to get listenership numbers from anybody unless, you you know, like there's no good way, like we're getting better on tools now that we can at least see where people rank relative to each other. But I love that. How long is a piece of string? Because understanding, first of all, you can't compare, you shouldn't compare B2B podcasts with you know, the number one true crime podcast. Oh my gosh. No. Right. Like, no, that'd be like trying to compare website traffic B2C versus B2B. Like the audiences are smaller. We're going for a niche here. We actually don't want everybody coming. We just want our people coming. And yeah. So as a result, the numbers are never going to be the same. And it's not about quantity. It's about who, who is consuming the content who, and that's, that's what we try to get to. We want, we want, we need these things to be somewhat qualified. It's true. It's true. And then the other thing is like, you might decide that the podcast is serving a different purpose than awareness, right? Like, so again, you might decide that the point of this podcast is, you know, we're building content for other purposes. So again, if I'm interviewing customers and the sales team is going to use that stuff, some like, who cares how many people listen to it when it comes out? (laughs) If if it's working with the sales team, let's just keep doing it. So it's things like that. Like, I think you got to get clear on what's the purpose. What are we trying to do here? Does it work? And then you say like, you know, even if the audience is small, if it's the right audience, then you can get a lot of juice out of that. It's a lot like public speaking in some ways. Like if you think about speaking in front of an audience, the kind of work I do as a consultant is so niche Like it's a, like, I only do B2B tech companies of a certain size of a certain type. So occasionally I'll get invited to these conferences and they'll say, Oh, you should come speak at our conference. And we got 30,000 attendees. But then I look at the attendees and I'm like, there, there isn't a single person here that would hire me as opposed to, and then, you know, you'll get the invite for the one that's 300 attendees, but it's all CEOs and they're all my thing and whatever. And you're like, well, yeah, that's worth getting on the plane and going out and doing that talk. Podcast audience is the same thing. A hundred percent. Absolutely. So, okay. Well, before I let you go, I'm going to, I'm going to make you get out your crystal ball and tell me what you see and coming at us. Um, and especially through your lens of, of positioning, who's going to win? Like what the brands that focus on what are going to make it? Well, I'll tell you, like, you know, it's funny. We're talking about this podcasting topic, you know, like all things in marketing, when we have a tactic that works and I would consider podcasting to be a tactic that works, what happens is you'll get this flood of folks 
trying to do the tactic. And so it gets harder and harder to stand out. And so like, let's say you're a company and you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't know, should I do a podcast or not? Again, I think you got to be really careful and really intentional about it. Like, I think it was easier a few years ago to just say, well, podcast, we'll just flop it out there. We'll see what happens. I think now there's so many companies trying to do that and you're competing with, you know, for the years of everybody. And there's, there's so many companies trying to do that, that I think the more thoughtful and targeted you can be about what is this thing all about? What is the value that my listener's getting? What kind of listener am I trying to get here? You know, how do I position this thing versus the 9,000 other podcasts out there? Like why listen to my thing versus anyone else's? Cause there's a lot of competition for that. I think that's going to get, that competition is going to be steeper and steeper at the same time. I have heard people say like, oh, gee, everyone's got a podcast now, so there's no point in launching a podcast now. I do not believe that at all. I think we are at the beginning of this. And and that, as a medium, has a long way to go. And I, I think that about the video version of podcasts in particular. Like, I think if we rolled this back three, four years ago, everybody was doing audio only. I think now people are having a lot of success of doing, you know, video distribution of this stuff in particular through things like Instagram shorts and TikTok and things like that as a way to sort of get people into the podcast and then get them excited about the content and into it. So I actually think we're still in early days of this thing. And so I, you know, if it was me and I was still the VP marketing, I'd be experimenting with stuff like this. Yeah, I agree. And being in it every day and and seeing how it's grown as a market over the last four years, we are very much still just getting started very much. So I agree. I agree. Get your uh, focus on positioning, include podcasting in it. And I, yeah. I appreciate it. This is this is really, really interesting. I am very appreciative of your time and I'm glad that you've been here. And I think everybody should read your book. Obviously awesome because it's obviously awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Hey, that's our show. Thanks for joining in. I'm Lindsay Chepkema and you can find me on Twitter at CastedLindsay and on LinkedIn. You know the drill. If you like this show, you'll like our other episodes too. So consider subscribing, sharing with others, and maybe even leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you're ready to harness the power of podcasting for your brand strategy, make sure that you click the link in our show notes to subscribe to the Casted newsletter and to all of our shows. You can also go to casted.us for the latest content from our team of experts to yours. Until next time.